0: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No proof is necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. True Stories, with me, Mike Bennett, and the star of the show, you. Hello, listeners, and welcome back. After quite a long break... To True Stories, the podcast where my higher-level patrons at patreon.com share with me, and of course you, their own personal true stories. Uh, The subject matter varies, uh, but the general theme might be the same as that of my Hall of Mirrors podcast, tales of horror and the grotesque, and indeed, the uncanny. And it's a story in that vein that I have to share with you today. Back in the summer... I was contacted by my patron Ewan Buist from Australia, uh, and he teased to me a, a few very intriguing details of a story that he thought would fit the True Stories show remit. Um now at the time I wasn't doing any True Stories podcasts, but you know, I spoke to Ewan and well, here it is. Uh, I was going to save it for whenever I did get round to doing a second season of True Stories, but when is that going to happen? I don't know. Uh, and meanwhile, with this podcast all recorded and ready to go, for me, it's, I've, I've been a bit like George Costanza in Seinfeld, trying to keep a, a secret indefinitely. I just couldn't wait any longer to share it with you. So this episode isn't the first of a, of a second season of True Stories. It's just a one-off podcast, as in future, all True Stories will be, arriving occasionally. Without warning, as unpredictable as encounters with phantasma. OK, so, uh, hello, Ewan. Uh, Ewan Bwist, you're in uh, Victoria, Australia, is that correct? That's right, Mike, yep. Um, right. little town called Ballarat. Ballarat, fantastic. OK, and what, what is it you do there, Ewan?
1: Well, I, I i actually work in melbourne which is about oh, i don't know about an hour and a half to the uh, to the east um where i uh, i work as a uh, train controller so um i work at the central hub of uh, at uh, uh, southern cross station uh,
0: controlling the flow of trains in and out all the way out to their regional destinations and is southern cross station is that like in in the center of melbourne yeah it is it is it's the uh, major terminus for victoria so yeah right, right. it's so right smack so bang right. there it's like the Grand Central Station or the, the um, I don't know what the one in London is, Paddington, Waterloo, something like that. Yeah, Waterloo, I suppose, of of um, Melbourne. It is, but slightly less interesting to look at. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, it's a bit new and horrible. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And it's it's winter there now, of course, isn't it? It is, it is. And... You'd be surprised how many people that
1: I've I've known over the years go, oh yeah, so it's uh so it's only just a little bit cooler, but it's not. It's right now outside the door. It's three degrees, I think.
0: Yeah. And by tonight it'll be about down to minus one. So yeah, it's chuffing cold. Let's put it that way. Okay, all right. Because I I'm one of those people who thought that it, it didn't really get that cold. But I suppose you know you are quite yeah. southerly, aren't you? Where you are? Oh uh, yeah, we're about as south as you can really get, to be perfectly honest. Right. <clears throat> Next stop is Tasmania. Yeah. All righty. Well, it's just, just to talk about the weather. It's lovely here, <laughs> for a change. All right. So anyway, um, you you have a you have an interesting true story for us, don't you?
1: I I do. This is a story that my mum told me. Uh, I don't know, probably somewhere about twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old. Right. Um, I'm fifty three now, so it's a good long while. But it made such an impact; I've never forgotten it. Okay. And I have relayed it to a few people over the years, but not too many. And it is, yeah, um, it is bloody scary, to be honest.
0: All right. It certainly started, you tease a little of it to me, and it, and it certainly piqued my uh, interest, shall we say. So uh, I, I'm mm. sure it's going to be a real humdinger. I certainly hope so. Okay. okay. Right. Let's go. <laughs> I'm just settling in. Right. Again. All right. So here we go the base if you wibbly what
1: we of seen we're going back to the mid to late 60s i was born in 1969 and this is a, just about when i was born or just a little bit before now mum was a nurse uh she worked in a geriatric ward mm. and her, also all of her charges they were all you know in the the, the late 80s 70s or whatever very very frail people um <clears throat> now i would not knowing too much about what was things were like then, but I don't think there was really much in the way of aged care facilities, you know, like where people would move into and stuff like this. So this is where people often ended up. If they weren't looked after their family, they ended up in hospital. Now, mum worked on a ward, which if you sort of picture in your mind's eye, walking up to a double doors, which swing both ways, little round window in each side. As you walk through the doors hmm. on your right-hand side, there was a long desk, which was the nurse's station. Right. So where the phones were, where they did their admin, the files were, and all the little lights for anyone, of course, pushed the call button. Huh? Next to that was a doorway, which was always chocked open, which was a little kitchen. And so mum said they would go in there to make tea, coffee, and biscuits and for themselves and also take it to the patients. Now, mum was on a night shift. And if you can picture the rest of the ward, as you walk forwards, you went forward about, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 metres or so, and then it would do a 90-degree turn, and it went uh, equally as far uh, down along. So an L-shaped corridor you could see to the end of, but you couldn't see around the corner. And all the way along were doorways into uh, rooms, which had uh, two or three patients, four patients in each. So not quite private, but, you know, but not one of these long wards with bed, 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 bed. And this one night... Um, Mum was looking after uh, the patients there and when she had a uh, a, a call and it was in the last room uh, around the corner on the right-hand side and we'll call the patient Gladys because I can't remember her name. Okay. Now, she was a very frail lady. Mum told me that she couldn't get around. She had to get everywhere uh, usually by uh, wheelchair but could use a walk-in frame if she wanted to go to the bathroom herself if she was feeling particularly independent. Uh, which was, and there was like a shared bathroom between every two or three rooms or something. But normally she had to be moved around by wheelchair. So she gets a call from Gladys. Mum leaves the, the station, walks along the corridor, makes her left-hand turn, keeps on going, goes into Gladys's room. The other patients are asleep in there. She said it was probably one or two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And Gladys is wide awake. And so mum she said, oh, how are you doing, Gladys? She said, oh, Shirley, you know, I'm not feeling so good. I can't sleep. And she's, oh, you know, are you in pain? She said, I'm a bit sore. My hips are sore. And so mum said, look, I'll get you a cup of tea. I'll have a cup of tea with you. I'll bring you some uh, paracetamol or aspirin or whatever it was that they were giving her. And Gladys said, beautiful, Shirl, thanks very much. So mum leaves the uh, the room, walks back down the, uh, the, the nice polished uh, lino floor around the corner and down to the kitchen area. So she's got her back to this chocked open door, you sort of kitchen bench, sort of uh, ensemble in front of her, uh, a, a fridge, a, um, a kettle and a sink. It's very, very basic. So she gets a couple of biscuits and it makes start make, making a cup of tea with the kettle boiling away. And as she's just standing around waiting for the kettle to boil, putting sugar in the cups or whatever, <clears throat> she'd been there for maybe, I don't know, a minute, two minutes at the most. And she suddenly thought, someone's behind me. And she turned around and Gladys is in the doorway. And she's like, oh, gee, you know, Gladys, what are you doing here? And she said, oh, Shirley, don't worry about the tea. She said, I'm all right, don't worry about it. And mum goes, oh, okay, no problem. So mum goes back and thinks, well, I'll have one myself. Yeah. And it dawns on, her, hang on a minute, if Gladys has come down here without a walking frame, she's going to get hurt. Yeah. So she goes to the door and she shouts, say Gladys, and she's not there. She's not anywhere between the doorway and the corner. And there's no way Gladys could have got that far. It's yeah. just impossible. So she's thinking, I don't know. So she's walking towards the, uh, down the corridor a bit and gets to the corner, expecting Gladys to be hobbling at least there. Yeah. And she's not there either. So mum thinks, right, okay. She walks up to the, the room there and, goes on in and checks on all the patients and everything else, goes and looks at Gladys, who's still propped up on her pillows there, and she thinks, oh, she's fast asleep. Quickly thinks i will do her obs, no pulse. She was dead. Okay. There was no way she could get from her room to Mm. the kitchen in two minutes. In fact, she wouldn't be able to get to the ward door in two minutes. She certainly couldn't get from mum realising, hey, what's going on, yeah. to back to her room, get back into bed. In fact, she could barely get in and out of bed. But yet there she was saying to mum, don't worry about the tea, Shirley. I'm all right now. And mum answered her and watched her turn, Yeah, went
0: back to the tea and thought, hang on. Yeah. So and there she was. And there was, a, there was an exchange between them, you know. It was like yeah. question, answer, yeah. response, yeah. Yeah, wow. I mean, she said she she looked right at
1: us. I said to my mum, oh, you know, are you sure? She said, yeah. So, well, you could kind of see through her, you know, sort of thing, joking, floating above the floor. Hmm. I said, no, she was standing right there, right there, spoke to me, turned, walked out of sight of the door. I went, looked back, and then suddenly thought about it. She said, there's no way. She said, even to think that she could have, if she was following her down, she could not have got down to that kitchen, let alone back to her room and back yeah. into bed. And that was that. And that was that was, glad was the last little thing to Mum. Yeah, you know, they'd always been quite close, and Mum had been looking after for some. I think she said about three or four months she'd been in hospital uh, there full time, and had known her on and off for a couple of years.
0: Well, I see that. But, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. what happened afterwards? Did your your mum obviously told you? Did you tell anybody else at the hospital?
1: Well, oh, the thing is, mum was a bit of a rat bag for this sort of stuff. Um, not that she used to make this stuff up, don't get me wrong. When I say a bit of a rat bag for this stuff, she was very much of all these kind of very spiritual people. Yeah. You know, she was not so much as, oh, I believe in God or this or the other, but she was very much like, there's more to this, surely. Yeah. You know, there can't yeah. be just this. And her and some of the other nurses would sneak off down to the, uh, you know, one that'd stay up at the ward yeah. and they'd sneak down to the morgue with a Ouija board and mess <laughs> right down in the bed. I mean, so she was a bit full on with that stuff. And she had a couple of other scary stories where, you know, whether they, they'd left there running in fear and fleeing for what they thought was their lives when, yeah. when they were being told they were going to die or whatever, where that was one of their people, their friends there pushing the glass around for a bit of a hoo-ha laugh, but, but, um, yeah, that was that was that was kind of a thing. But that that one story, that's the thing she, she said out of everything. If if I was ever going to say there's an afterlife, son,
0: she said that shows me that there was. Did you, did you say that she, you know, she was uh, someone who uh, used a Ouija board occasionally. Did she ever use a Ouija board to try and contact Gladys? You know, I don't know. I should have asked her that. I mean, yeah.
1: unfortunately, I can't ask her that anymore. After, mm. because unfortunately, Mum passed on uh, some years ago now. But yeah, it's. I, I know that not long after Gladys, uh, I I remember as a youngster, Mum stopping working. So, you know, it's whether she ever thought to do that or or maybe she was trying to from time to time. I I honestly don't know. I, I never thought to ask her. I wish I had. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs>
0: Well, that's that's uh, it's one of those stories, you know. Sometimes you hear sort of stories of things that go bump in the night, but but that's you know like a, in terms of you know things like close encounters. You've got close encounters of the first kind, the second kind, and the third kind, which is where there's kind of contact. And I guess that's that's a third kind ghost encounter, isn't it? It's about as up there
1: with it as you can get. Yeah. 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 It's, it's yeah. It, it it's just bizarre. that, but- That she could, you know, with with such conviction, she said she was there. She stood there, Ewan. She stood there. I guess uh, there there was a time. um, I remember uh, this is this was after I was born. My um, my my uncle Thomas died. Yeah, and he used to have a. He he always wore a trilby hat and had a a very thick white beard, very Santa Clausy. And he used to take me as a baby, so so young. I don't really remember this. Uh, down to this duck pond in uh, Hucknall in England because I I was actually born in England, right? And um I used to, and I used to go feed the ducks and go watch the bowls, so I used to go down there. And uh, Mum mm-hmm. said that a, a, a year or so after he uh he had, he died, Mum woke up and said standing at the end of the bed, middle of the night was a guy in a uh, trilby, and a beard, and he said, "You're right, Shell." Hmm. I walked out the door, bedroom door, and she, she screamed and um, Dad went uh, ch- charging on through the house and there was yeah. nobody there. So, I don't know, she just had a thing for this, you know, that sort of, I see dead people, I don't know,
0: but yeah, you know, yeah. I, so, <laughs> I, I could do without it. They do say that, you know, I spoke to a guy who also uh, saw ghosts, you know, on more than one occasion, and it was his opinion that some people are, shall we say, sensitive, um to these things whereas most of us aren't uh and uh, he certainly was he he'd had a number of spooky encounters uh and he wasn't really so much so that he wasn't really even phased by them when they happened um but uh it sounds like your mum is, is you know was such a person yeah very much so
1: i mean she she never seemed to be too bothered about it personally mm. uh yeah i would have i would have pooping myself to put it politely but yeah she she's just yeah she just had to, she always had a bit of a story to tell here or there but the the one about Gladys that one or oh, if I got her name right that was the one that stuck with me the longest because that one just was downright eerie
0: yeah. yeah well goodness gracious well thank you so much for for sharing that with the listeners you and that that was a real corker all right no oh, my pleasure uh, thanks for having me on Michael seriously Brilliant. Absolute, absolute thrill. Brilliant. All right. Well, uh, I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but it will come out. And uh, uh, is there anyone you'd like to give a shout out to who may be listening? Um, crikey. Well, I would definitely be telling my wife, you've
1: got to listen to this. So <laughs> hi, Meg. Love you. And my son, Bryce. Bryce. You're the best son any dad could ever want. And just about anybody that's an Underwood and Flinch fan, stay on
0: Patreon. More stuff to come. All right. Don't go disappearing. You'll miss out. Awesome. Be told. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> All right then, Ewan, thanks very much for calling in. It's absolutely my pleasure, thank you so much. All right then, thanks a lot, cheers now. Good mate. Bye. And there we are, listeners, Ewan Buist and his tale of the late Gladys. And I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. The thing that struck me uh, today, listening to the story for a second time, was the, the kindness you know, um, that existed between Ewan's mum and Gladys. So often in movies and stories we encounter ghosts that tend to be sinister, motivated by things like revenge or just a desire to scare the crap out of us. But here we had an old lady whose final act on this terrestrial plane was to take a few moments to tell her friend and carer not to go to the trouble of making a cup of tea for her. I thought that was kind of touching, you know, a nice thing to do. You know, when you you think of the awesomeness, literally awesomeness, uh, of of moving on to the next plane of existence, whatever that may be, Uh, for Gladys to then have stopped and thought, oh, before I go, I'd better tell Shirley not to bother with that cup of tea. It's You know, it's it's one of those stories that, that makes you feel maybe that death is actually nothing to fear, Or at least, you know, that's the way it makes me feel. Anyway, my thanks again to Ewan for sharing that story with us. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter, at little squiggly at TheMikeBennett. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, And speaking of which, if you were among those who left my Facebook listener group, The Sect, recently, because I was going to close it down, well, guess what? I didn't ultimately do it. I had so many nice messages from people who were sad to see it go that I changed my mind and did a U-turn. So the group is still there and if you'd like to come back I would certainly be very happy to see you again. And if you don't know uh, about the group and you're on Facebook and would like to become a member then just search for Mike Bennett Sect and you should find it easily enough. It's a good way of keeping in touch with me and chatting with new friends. So, hopefully, I'll see you there. But that's it for me for now. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll join me next month for another episode of Underwood and Flinch After Hours, the UNF Q&A show where you send in your Qs and I attempt to give you some A's. Uh, So if you have any cues about UNF or anything else that you might be curious about that I'd be in a good position to supply an answer to, then please send them to me at my email address, mike at mikebennetauthor.com and my wife Pauline will read them out to me on the next show. But until then, until the moon rises again over this podcast world of Underwood and Flinch, Farewell. The music on the podcast was by Kevin McLeod. For more information and music, please visit Incomptech.com. And for details of the tracks used in the show, see this episode's show notes at my website, mikebennetauthor.com. Thank you.